takes more than giving poor ratings on your engagement survey to signal that you want to raise and don't want to come back to the office, <laughs> only to result in a strong correlation between low engagement and remote work to be a great shot myself in the foot engineer. <laughs> this is episode 317 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly show where we talk about the non-technical things about the technical field of software development, like, I don't know what this would be, interesting ways to interpret data in the worst way possible for you. <laughs> I mean, here's this is what I'm hearing is you want to raise, so you give a poor rating on an engagement survey, but you work from home and you don't want to come back into the office. And then your employer concludes that people who work from home are low engagement. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks rough. so bad. <laughs> Oh. oh, man. We've talked about Goodhart's Law a bunch, but I'm going to talk about it again. When right. a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be an effective measure. That's right. And if engagement is like a target, we got to raise engagement, then you're going to do weird stuff to raise it. Oh, yeah. That might not have the outcome that you intend. Slack bots. Uh, yeah. Number one engagement hack. <laughs> I saw a tweet from a, a developer saying, my site's been getting crazy amounts of traffic. I was really pumped. And then I looked at the logs and someone's been pinging my site 25 times a second for <laughs> like monitoring purposes. Some or bot or something. But for a while, they were just skyrocketing up. Do you want to thank our patrons, Dave? Sure. But first, I just want to say it's too bad you didn't sell a bunch of advertising impressions to advertisers for all those bots. Yeah. I mean, I think... That's probably happening enough already. <laughs> <laughs> Just want a don't sweet worry. piece of that pie. Yeah, those those bots will get paid. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't worry. Face, somewhere else. Facebook will pay those bots. Okay, yeah. I didn't say that out loud. All right, yes, I would like to thank our, our patrons. They are Kent C. Dodds, Theodore Savin, Nathan Sackon, Memester Josh, Owen Chartle, Craig Motlin, I Love Mavis, the Stochastic Parrot, Alice Jost, Andrew Pollock, the very long name of a town in North Wales that ends in go go go. Kashokton, Ohio, patreon.com.au, we're hiring, Ira Chan, Monkey Face Emoji, Jonathan King, testing is documenting.org, Will Angel, who does not have the stinky feet, <laughs> Ragnar, uh, Nick Hathaway, Travis Sanders, Braden Keynes, John Grant, Nick Cantar, and Philip John Basile. If you'd like to join this illustrious crew, go to softskills.audio and click the support us on Patreon button. And if you make a material impact to Jameson's yacht payment, we will say your name online or the name of an impossible to pronounce town in North Wales. And if you su support us at any dollar amount, we'll give you an invitation to our Slack community at the start of each month. And just want to say thank you to everyone who's done that. I want to say thank you. I also want to qualify a statement you said. You said if you make a material impact, it's got to be a positive material impact. <laughs> you cannot come give me a large expense. <laughs> Smash a hole in my windshield so I have to... <laughs> Material impact. <laughs> yeah. How's this for material impact? Yeah. It's got the impact part. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the material. That's true. Yeah, material was impacted. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Hired. The best way to quit your job and get a new one, you can go to hired.com slash soft skills to learn more, or you can wait and hear our beautiful voices talk more about them later in the show. Thank you. <laughs> Oh. Do you want to read the first question, Dave? Yeah, this comes from an anonymous listener who says, I work at a small company that has recently grown from a couple of engineers to 40 plus due to some great new project opportunities. As part of this transition, many new policies are being implemented. 
the policies concerning the engineering department primarily revolve around task tracking and reporting time. Gone are the days when an engineer can charge eight hours to, quote, fixing stuff (laughs) and earn a paycheck. Most of us are on board, but there are three engineers in particular who have been around for quite some time and vary between subtly passive-aggressive to downright combative when it comes to creating JIRA tasks and logging their hours. The problem? They serve an absolutely critical role in our company. They are nigh irreplaceable. Nice use of the word nigh. I like that. (laughs) Nigh irreplaceable in an extremely niche market. How should a manager strike the perfect balance between forcing an engineer to do something that they don't want to do and not forcing them out? If this was a a more common skill set, there wouldn't be an issue with just telling them, look, you don't like it, go find another job. But when there are a handful of people in the world that do this kind of thing, and it closely involves hardware, and these three just happen to be local, well, you get the idea. Losing these individuals would be a staggering blow to the company. Making them redundant isn't economically feasible. Time to ramp up for this position would be close to a year. Ooh, this is uh, this is some developer's dreams. <laughs> like, I have this company right where I want them. They can't tell me to do anything. Daily stand-up? I think not. <laughs> I'll stand up if I want. Yeah. <laughs> if I I'll feel stand like up it. to the idea of daily stand up. <laughs> Just count yourself lucky I showed up to work this week. <laughs> Nigh irreplaceable, three engineers. Been around for quite some time. Yeah, this is interesting. So I expect that they have concerns about the culture change as the company has grown and feel like it's lost that that kinda early days feel of you can just focus on the work and don't have to worry about all these policies and red tape and Mm -hmm. bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've felt that way myself. So I can kind of see it. I have been known to be subtly passive aggressive (laughs) about task tracking in the past, which is ironic given that I now work on a a tool that allows you to track tasks. (laughs) Tell me about some of the uh, ways that you've subtly implemented passive aggression. Oh, man, it's been a while. I feel like this was back in my earlier, less mature days, so I don't know that I have specific examples. I mean, I'm sure it was like snarky, like updates to the tickets or whatever, just to like get people off my back. Like I worked 6.39247 hours on this task. Yeah, yeah. Or or just like whining about the value of estimates when we're trying to assign estimates to stuff in, in sprint planning or something. Being an old stick in the mud, or a young stick in the mud, in this case. <laughs> yeah. Well, I spent about eight years of my career working in a world where you were required to track every hour. In fact, one of my companies said they wanted it tracked at the six-minute increment, which is a tenth of an hour. Yeah, it's, so some some uh, phrasing in this question clues me into the idea that this is, this is probably not in the U.S., uh, making people redundant. I think that's yeah. a... a British term British? for layoffs, I think. Ah, uh, yes. I know it's not an, uh, an American term. Yeah, because I'm already redundant. <laughs> <laughs> That's my goal. Then I don't have to work. I just get paid. So uh, I, I wonder if the uh, the time tracking requirement is, is like industry-based or country-based. Maybe there's some reason why they have to do it for that. You know what I think might be happening here? When companies grow from small to kind of medium-sized like this, management starts to get nervous that they've made this big investment in engineering 
I mean, think of it. Two engineers to 40, they multiplied their, their financial obligation by a factor of 20. And now the question is, are we getting our money's worth? Is this, is this workforce actually working productively? You know? Yeah. Especially if it's remote. I don't know if this is a remote position, but I think remote compounds this problem. And management just wants to know, are you all working on stuff that we want you to work on? Yeah. Also, the the normal, I think the default mode is that more engineers give diminishing returns. I yeah. I would be shocked if this this engineering group gets 20 times more stuff done. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially given that only two of them know how to do anything <laughs> in this case. <laughs> <laughs> So so they might they might have this feeling of productivity is going down. We we got to do something. I have a couple suggestions, but none of them are great. You are you're in a tricky spot. Time to ramp up for this position would be close to a year. The best time to plant a tree is thirty <laughs> years ago. The second best time is today. You should hire somebody and ramp them up now, so that a year from now you will not be held hostage by these people as badly. You'll be thanking one year ago you. Or a year from now, you could be held hostage by four people. They they might get like <laughs> pulled into the the clique and yeah, uh, start wearing the the decorative patches on their leather jackets that identify them as the Jira <laughs> renegades, the the anti task trackers. Yeah, we have a whole biker club. We we ride Harley Davidson motorcycles. We wear bandanas, and we have patches. <laughs> We're really very organized for a group that doesn't like to organize our work. Losing these individuals would be a staggering blow to the company. This is interesting. I think you've you've identified a potential existential threat to the company because losing them by telling them you need to track your time is not the only way you could lose these people. They could win the lottery, go get a different job. They could yeah. uh, get yeah. poached. They could decide they don't want to work anymore. Like There's a lot of reasons they might not work in the, here anymore. They could get poached from from the one other company that does the same stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a couple ways to address this. One of the ways is kind of what the what the question asker seems to be hinting at, which is like, we got to keep these people around. We need to um, appease them and make their work environment match what they want and because and, we can't afford to lose them. But the other way is y- you you have a pretty big risk that you need to alleviate by spreading that knowledge out. I think that's just a longer version of my first answer of hire someone now. You already hired 38 someones. Yeah, that's true. Get some of them to do Ramp it. them up. Yeah, I'm sure. They can't all be doing useful work, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, Isn't it part of a manager's skill set to convince people to do what they don't inherently want to do? Yes. What if but... you? What if you created a financial incentive system where you were like, look, and this would actually be a good lip, a good litmus test of the policy. The manager says, "Look, for every hour you log on a task, I will pay you an extra ten dollars." You know, I don't know. Come up with a number, and so it's like instant raise if they'll just log their time, pay it out as a monthly bonus. Is this like a Chekhov's gun style thing where I mentioned Goodhart's law in the intro, and now you have to? <laughs> that means later on in the podcast we will we will mention a way in which you can like horribly distort incentives <laughs> <laughs> an extra right. ten dollars per hour huh it's <laughs> like i'll just sit on this one for a while even though it's done uh, yeah 
you don't like you go find them in later drafts so there, yeah there's a bunch of ways to to do this that have varying levels of aggressiveness and of like like they might work differently for different combinations of personalities one thing that i my my first thing to try would be to talk about the the, the reason for doing this what is what is the outcome it's we're not doing this because we want engineers to be annoyed or to work more slowly there's some material benefit for the company as a whole hopefully and can you identify that and tie their participation in this process back to that that assumes that they're motivated by the idea of doing things that are materially beneficial to the company and maybe they're not but explaining the why behind something can help quite a bit it might also yeah. result in you trying other things that achieve the same outcome right if you've maybe there's an alternative solution that does not involve tracking your hours or or making it easier to track hours that achieves the same outcome and if you can get their minds thinking on that maybe there's some useful stuff comes out of there yeah i like that also having to stand up and justify why it's a good idea to someone will create in my opinion a little internal feedback loop in your own mind of is this really a good idea and and here i'm talking about management so not exactly what the question asker is asking about. But if I find that I can't convince someone to do something myself, I usually start arguing with myself over whether the thing I want is actually good. <laughs> Maybe that'll mm. happen. One possible outcome. Yeah. Another solution that I hate, but that is possible is you can just like push the cost of this on someone else. And by that, I mean, is there some other role that you can like assign to just help these people? Mm -hmm. check the boxes in the system i hate that because it's kind of rewarding them like by saying hey you don't like this work well the company will pay extra money so you don't have to do it it's putting them up right. on even more of a pedestal of, they get these special yeah. exceptions and special support but if it's really important that stuff gets logged and tracked maybe it's worth those costs or maybe thinking about that will make you realize it's actually not so i have another idea yeah hit me I'm reading this question as if it's coming from a peer, not a manager. So let's go with that. Okay. As a peer, you seem very nervous about these people leaving the company. And I think I know why, which is because if they leave, you'll be helpless as an engineer. Like you absolutely depend on them to get your job done without being able to go to them, ask them questions, get their consultation. You'll be stuck. That's what I'm hearing here. So why don't you offer to just fill out their time cards for them? And then you get the $10 <laughs> for every hour. Yeah, don't forget. <laughs> you can also get a raise this way. Yeah. Which feels like letting the bullies win. Your sense of cosmic justice is offended. Yeah. Yeah, like someone is behaving badly. And so your answer is, oh, I will appease you by doing extra work that kind of sucks. I would be shocked if the, this person wanted to fill out their own time cards, you know? But like, it sounds like <laughs> they do it out of a understanding that it's important somehow. Or maybe they're just a, a preeminent people pleaser like myself and yeah. i don't care what the reason is i just want to make you happy yeah i don't know i feel like so i was reading this as coming from a manager and one other approach you might take is engage some of these people's peers to uh talk about the importance of this it it hits differently when it comes from a peer versus a manager when someone oh, yeah. is is either uh explaining why something is helpful for them or, or asking someone to do something like for the good of the team. This is like astroturfing. Yeah, kind of. I mean, if you have folks that these people respect that they work with, 
that also can be convinced that this is important and useful for the company, then maybe you can uh, stage a little intervention with them or something. And then, you know, to keep the Chekhov's gun theme going, you tell these team members, like, look, every time you drop a positive comment to so-and-so about the time tracking policy, uh, I'll give you 10 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Slack bots come out of the woodwork. <laughs> Just 24-7 spamming positive comments about time tracking. It's like, I used to mine Bitcoin, but now... <laughs> <laughs> Now I mine poorly considered incentive structures at my company. <laughs> Very well said. Very well said. All right. Well, have we answered the question? I think so. Good luck. This is a tricky situation because they do genuinely have a lot of power and, and you are seeing them exercise that. And yeah, they are correct. <laughs> they are very hard to get rid of. And so they can kind of get away with stuff. Hey, Jameson, have you heard about The Great Resignation? Is it that Charles Dickens book? <laughs> Wait, no. The entire population on Earth has started taking our advice of quit your job. Oh, yes, that's right. Apparently, we have achieved influencer status. We've been telling developers for years to quit their jobs, and now we want to tell you how to do it. We're ready to reveal the secret. You mean you don't just walk out shooting finger guns? <laughs> yes, well, you do that first. But after you do that, there's a new service we want to tell you about called Hired. What is Hired, Dave? Hired is the biggest AI-driven marketplace that matches engineers with companies. It is a great way to find your next job. I've been watching this industry for 20 years with a keen interest on hiring in particular, and I've never seen anything like Hired. Tell me about what you're seeing. So I've interviewed about 150 people in the last year, and I am serious. Every candidate that's come to me through Hired has multiple offers, and they're incredibly high, scary high, like 30% higher than other candidates. Is that before or after the finger guns? <laughs> yeah, uh, both. <laughs> the beauty is it's totally free for engineers, uh, and we would love for you to go try it. Go to Hired.com slash soft skills to check it out. Hired.com slash soft skills. Quit your job the best way and check out Hired. All right. Would you like to read our next one? Yeah, I will read our next question. This is from an anonymous listener. So I've recently followed the first rule of soft skills engineering and quit my job. All right. I believe in the new role and think it'll be a good change for me. Despite this, I'm feeling guilty about leaving my team behind. When my managers ask me how I've been feeling in the last few quarters, I've mostly said, I'm fine. I never told them my reservations about how the code base I'm working on has no oversight, that they need to hire another dev because I don't trust myself being the sole keeper, that it seems like product has forgotten this feature. I even indulged them when they asked me to make a long-term career plan when I was certain I would leave by early next year at the latest. So what's your take on how disgruntled employees often have to hide their true feelings? Maybe I could have been open, but it really seemed like the odds were against us. Against us. It's just that upper leadership was neglecting this feature and there was no urgency to improve things. I still feel like I wasn't being fully honest. What do you think? Thanks so much and keep up the good work. Oh, they, they're not anonymous. They signed this feeling guilty. Feeling guilty. P.S. Do you feel that this industry naturally rewards a lack of loyalty and connection? How do you feel about that? Oh, You can't ask two questions in one question. That's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to the form. Get back in line. Yeah, get, get back in line. Um... <sighs> okay, so summary, you were totally dishonest about how crappy you felt at work, and then you quit. But leading up to the quitting, you pretended like you were happy. <laughs> yeah. This, oh, this question this. 
was like a twist for me because I thought the question was going to be, should I quit? Should I quit this place? But no, they, they had quit and they were asking like, what would you do to handle me <laughs> in the future? <laughs> I've seen this a lot. Yes. In myself and in people who report to me. In myself, because this is a form of self-preservation, I think. It's a form of keeping your optionality high. It's like, yeah, I'm not happy here, but I'm not sure I have a good exit yet. So I don't want to rock the boat and make management think of firing me. Yeah, I think you've identified the reason right off the bat, which is that people are worried there will be some kind of consequence. It doesn't even have to be retaliation of like, you want to quit? Then you're fired. It can be, I mean, maybe maybe uh, if they know you're leaving at some point, then you're, you'll be targeted for layoffs because you're leaving anyways, yeah. you know? Or they'll withhold your bonus or they'll pass you up for a promotion or they won't give you a yeah. cool opportunity. Like there's a thousand ways that management could react if they don't think you're engaged. Yeah. And I mean, at a good company, those are all probably pretty low probability, but they're also very expensive <laughs> if they happen. Yeah, to you. And and saying everything's fine is pretty cheap. That's right. <laughs> the cost of lying about how unhappy you are is low. Yeah. And, and we've all heard stories of retaliation. You know, In fact, just this week, yeah. I heard uh, one of my team members tell a story about how they raised some concerns about a company to the company's management, and then like the next day they were fired. Whoa. I heard a story this week about retaliation from someone I work with too. Do tell. Well, it was the same kind of thing. Was it the story they told after you retaliated at them? No, it was like <laughs> someone, it, it was something like their boss gave one of those like, I welcome feedback type of speeches. Uh-huh. And then they gave them some feedback that was, uh, here's how I think you should do some things differently. And it turns out that they did not welcome that feedback. <laughs> <laughs> I also no longer welcome your employment. Yeah. Yeah, it's rough. It's a high stakes situation, right? And I think you nailed it when you said the cost of withholding that information, very low, but the risk of disclosing, very high. And it might be a few bad apples situation, right? Where it's like, most yeah. companies won't do this to you, but there's enough that will. You don't want to roll the dice. Is expected value the term for that? Ooh. Like you buy a lottery ticket, it costs one cent. The payout is a million dollars, but there's some percentage chance that you win. So you can value that ticket at some mm. percentage times a million dollars. Right, right, right. That's kind of how I'm thinking about this of, of like, yeah, it's probably not likely, but would you would you risk like $10,000 for this? Because that right. could be some combination of the cost and the likelihood. There are no real numbers here, obviously. Right, right. <laughs> but that idea is bouncing around in my head. So if you said you've been in this situation in the past, can you think of things that your company could have done to discern your true feelings? No. <laughs> no way. <laughs> we promise not to get you in trouble, Dave. No amount of that would work. No. You can trust us. We're friends. You know, there's there's kind of this mutually beneficial it's mutually beneficial when when employees don't share their true disgruntled feelings, I think. Because imagine, like, most people are frustrated with their job at least some of the time, if not most of the time, I think. Yeah. Like, jobs are hard, right? That's what the money's for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wipe away your disgruntled tears with the yes. dollar bills. 
like jobs are hard, right? I mean, this is why we get paid to do it. If it was fun, we would do it for free. <laughs> yeah. And so if every employee shared full disclosure all the time, I think it would be such a burden on management. It really would. Like you do nothing but assuage people's disgruntled feelings. Isn't there like a financial institution of some kind? Is it it's like a hedge fund or something like that that I think they showed up in the the Radical Candor book. They're a several hundred person organization that truly does say exactly how they feel all the time. Okay. And it sounds pretty gnarly, honestly. <laughs> it's like it's pretty intense. It it seems to take a specific type of person to succeed there. Like thicker skin than you can imagine. Yeah, most places are not like that. I got to tell you, the first time I experienced this on the management side of the table was quite a shock to me. I had been in a management role for about a year. I had been doing weekly or monthly one-on-ones with this person who reported to me for that whole time. And every time we sat down across the table from each other, I asked how you're doing. The answer was great. Happy to be here. Loving it. Yeah. And then one day I walk into my office and this guy's laptop is sitting on my chair with a post-it note saying, I resign. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I was like, what just happened? <laughs> I took the laptop to my boss and said, I just found this on my chair. And my boss was like, oh, my gosh, that's really unusual. And so then, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to piece it together. He's like, you know, what happened in your one-on-ones? What did you learn? And I'm like, he said he was fine, you know. And then finally, my boss manages to get a hold of the person on uh, like by email later and says, hey, give me your honest take on what happened. And the guy just wrote a novel of all the complaints he had, complaints with the company, complaints with the team, specific personal complaints against me. Whoa. I realized in that moment that you really have to earn your team members' honesty. They will not share with you, even when they're feeling very, very strongly negative about what you're doing. Yeah. I'm not really sure if I've ever been able to achieve that. I mean, yeah, that's a good question because how can you know, right? Like this person said they were fine. Even if someone shares some critical feedback, they might be holding back more stuff. Oh, yeah. Everyone's holding back something all the time, right? Yeah. Like, well, fine, but I really don't like the way you parted your hair today. Yeah. Or that you neglected to part your hair today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm not really sure there's an answer. Like, I try very hard to earn my team members' trust. But guess what? This goes both ways. Like, there's also stuff management isn't going to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, guess I guess we both have secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Please share with me the stack ranking you've made of all the engineers. No. <laughs> I choose <laughs> I choose not to share. <laughs> and I haven't even done that. <laughs> yeah. I would I would never What? Stack what? What yeah, even I, I is don't even that? know what that is. Uh, yeah. oh oh is that is that the chart where I put you all with a number one next to your name? <laughs> <laughs> is that where we like do a competition to see who can build the stack data structure the fastest? <laughs> That's the stack rank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I think I have been, yeah, I've definitely been this person of, of uh, knew I was probably going to quit, just was kind of, why did I do it? I didn't see any benefit in it. The concerns I had were not things I felt like could be changed by me talking about them openly with, with my boss. That's a huge reason not to share. It's yeah. like, what's the point? Like it could turn into retaliation and it's nothing good is going to happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there's some tiny chance that 15 years from now, this could be some Harvard Business School case study. And it all started with this one one-on-one. Jameson told his company with millions of employees that he wished that they did this one thing differently. The change, it's like the butterfly that flapped its wings. Yeah. Just changed the whole company. Exactly, exactly. I did once in management, I did once have someone come to me uh, right after I had moved into management. This is years ago. Came to me and sat down and just started unloading all the problems they had with the organization. Mm. And then at the end said, I'm telling you these things because I think you can fix them. <laughs> Wait, you're not just telling them to me because it will make you feel better to tell them to me? <laughs> and that's that's it? <laughs> that's what I was hoping for. I know. I was just hoping this was a venting session. I don't want to work on yeah. that. <laughs> this is hard. Yeah. But it was the eye-opening part was when he said, I'm only telling you this because I think you can fix it. I realized that when people withhold, one of the reasons they withhold is because they don't think you can. So, yeah. you know, maybe this is a referendum on, on you when your team members aren't willing to share problems with you. Yeah. I mean, I would venture that you have stuff like this at your current job. I do. I have disgruntledness that I have not yeah. told people. I have I have plenty that I have talked to people about as well, but... There's some stuff that, yeah, that feels like it doesn't hit that level of like, I don't have it articulated enough. I don't yep. feel like it's actionable enough. Maybe I'm wrong. Like I'm not confident. Yeah, maybe I'm it. wrong. Maybe it's just like really petty and, and spiteful. Yes. And <laughs> I have a heuristic that I apply, which this heuristic was not clear to me when I was younger in my career. But now, you know, my I, I feel that my objective in going to work every day is to create a valuable company and serve our customers well. And so when I'm contemplating raising concerns with the company, I try to apply this threshold. Is this concern object like materially impacting negatively, just like your yacht, the, yes. these yes. two objectives? Is it making our company less valuable and is it preventing us from serving our customers well? And if it doesn't hit either one of those two bars, then I just, I just throw it away. Like, what's the point, you know? Like mm. you could fill your whole day with the things that bother me. <laughs> I'm not I'm not that annoyable. Let's I don't want to come across as like <laughs> super pain in the butt, but like I think most people if you really focus on finding things that bother you, you can find them and you can fill your whole day talking about them. Yeah. So I try to I try to hedge against that by setting a standard for like what is my long-term objective here? Yeah. And do these complaints get me closer to that objective? Now, what I like about what you've said there is that you've completely abandoned any principles of justice or right or good <laughs> at all that don't result in the company making more money. That's right. Um, at, at any cost, <laughs> at any ethical or moral cost. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's interesting. I've felt myself get caught in a trap where I, I get sucked into crusades about things that don't meet those two criteria but they just they they irk something yeah inside me of, of like this is not how it should happen they feel I can't really articulate right? yeah it, it feels it feels wrong and it needs to feel right i think i did that last week actually uh -oh. uh, i hopefully do it less than i used to but that's an interesting framework to think about stuff i haven't really haven't really thought about my my failed i mean they don't always fail. Sometimes they succeed wildly in that the thing <laughs> I get all worked up about changes. It fails in that it usually doesn't matter. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe that's given me a framework to think about how to avoid that stuff in the future. I'm really good at effectuating low-impact change. <laughs> I remember this one time I got this very obscure, very low-risk, very low likelihood of being exploited, very low-impact if it was exploited, security vulnerability uh-huh. stuck in my head. I yeah. found it in the code. And I yep. just like ranted at my boss for, for days about it. And they they kind of just smiled and nodded and were like, okay, I see you feel strongly about this and sort of like deflected. And I eventually went away. And then a few years later realized that I was being a moron. Like, uh. <laughs> it does not matter at all, at all, at all, at all. If, if that affects the company, then we've we've got either way more financial success or way bigger problems. If that's like the yep. thing that affects anything for customers i think i I think we've all had that experience especially early in our careers you find that piece of code and you're like this cannot stand yeah this this is wrong this is a linear search on a list (laughs) the list has four items yes Yes, you read my mind (laughs) it will never matter but it must be a constant time lookup (laughs) warning i'm gonna add a comment to the top of this function warning this is a linear search (laughs) Call at your own risk. <laughs> Call out your manager by name and say they forced you to betray your engineering <laughs> principles. And you protest formally. <laughs> I didn't want to write this code, but I was forced to. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love how we're just talking about like giving up. <laughs> just give up. It's fine. <laughs> If you apply the right heuristic, nothing matters. And that is yeah. the ultimate piece. That's, what do they call it in Zen Buddhism? Enlightenment? N- nihilism? No, no, no. The uh, oh. Where you've been enlightened. Oh, enlightenment? Yeah. Is that what Nirvana is? I, I, I know like what you can read on the popsicle stick underneath the popsicle <laughs> about Zen Buddhism. You know how they sometimes hide little messages there? <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you mean the Zen Buddhists hide messages there for you? <laughs> yes. Well, what they don't do it very often. That's why That's why I don't know very much. If they this were like, more This is like the weirdest conspiracy theory ever. <laughs> I just know it, Dave. <laughs> I got this message on a popsicle stick. What does it mean? Jameson launched a 20-year quest. <laughs> I've arranged a sequence of 4,000 popsicle sticks in order <laughs> reproduced this message. It's uh, I'll, I'll update you on that question. <laughs> okay, keep me posted. All right, well, have okay. we answered this question? <laughs> I think so. Who among us has not pretended that they're not going to quit? <laughs> yeah, probably no one. I'm happy, happy as a clam. By the way, here's my resignation letter. Yeah, Dave... I just want to tell you I'm perfectly content doing this podcast. Yeah, me look too. Me to too. our continuing working relationship. I'm highly engaged. Very happy. Yes. Uh, you know, 10 out of 10 net promoter score. <laughs> yeah, but no comments left in anything. Just yeah, all, yeah. The, all the numbers are highest. All the <laughs> multiple choice things are whatever looks the best. I'm optimizing for speed here. Oh all right. My gosh. What can people do if they want their own questions answered? Go to softskills.audio and fill out our form in such a way that we can totally understand that you are totally satisfied with this podcast <laughs> and will never stop listening. <laughs> oh, and we really appreciate everyone who fills out those forms. Your stories are amazing. We love reading them each week. Thank you so much. Keep them coming. We do discard any of them that make us look bad. <laughs> 
no yeah we appreciate them all we we read them all i think i think i i there are probably some in there i haven't read but i feel like on average i, I end up reading them all yeah you definitely do you're a fast reader yes <laughs> and i comprehend everything i read <laughs> yes clearly i never skim yeah we we appreciate you listening and we appreciate you sending in questions we'll catch you next week Thank you.